This is the Can Crushers Wrestling Podcast. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Let's go nuts! It's Jimmy Nuts! Five out of the door! With your host, Mark Martinez. Because I'm the Mark. And I'm awesome! The Guru. Today I'm going to break it down for all you simpleton sweat hogs listening out there in Can Crusher Nation. I don't mean to come out here week after week and toot my own horn, but toot, toot. And the English Professor. It is I, the English Professor from the County of Kings, speaking the English of the Queen. Hey, this is former WWE superstar Duke, the Dumpster Drossy, and you are listening to the Can Crushers Podcast. And welcome back to another Can Crushers Wrestling Podcast. It's spotlight time, and I have a special guest joining me this week. It is the English professor, so if you know the English professors here, you know this is a pretty important interview. Yeah, but I'm not the special guest. I don't want people to think you're interviewing me this week. We have a much more important person than myself that we're interviewing this week. Cowboy Scott Casey. Cowboy Scott Casey, a legend in uh, Texas. Um, We know him from uh, a good, I want to say three years, maybe four years. He was uh, a staple on WWF television. Got some, some, wins over um some of the mid-card guys and then can't crush your alum barry horowitz that's it yeah yeah he's got some wins over barry horowitz but shared the ring with who's who um andre the giant rick rude honky tonk man iron chic list goes on and on so he's uh he's been there and done that i can't wait to ask him questions about all of that but I do want to dive back into the Texas roots that he has and talk about, you know, we know he's been trained by Dory Funk, so he's worked with the Funks. We we love the Funks, John. Between right. me and you, we're huge Funk fans. So some of that, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, you know, one of my favorite territories of all time, Dallas. Um, his work with the, the great Kabuki, um, teaming with him, feuding with him. Um, San Antonio with the Blanchards, he held just about everything in, in San Antonio, singles and tag team championships. Uh, the guy had quite the run, a good 20 year run in the business. Yeah. And nobody wants to listen to us gush over him anymore, but he also has a book coming out. It's one last ride, the tale of cowboy Scott Casey guys. We're going to get him to tell you where to find it. We'll post it as well where you can find it we have our book coming so i can't wait to read it but we're going to talk to scott casey as soon as we get back from our collar and elbow break john collar and elbow yeah hats hoodies t-shirts um eye patches pants uh they've they've got it all awesome wrestling gear um and we've got a promo code that we want to share with you guys. If you use this promo code, it is uh, Can Crushers, capital C and Can, capital C and Crushers. You spell it all as one word. When you use that promo code, you'll save some money, Mark. About how much? You'll save 10%, which is essentially shipping or parking because we don't like paying for parking here. Yeah, we don't like paying for shipping either. So, yeah, you save some bucks. Um, 
when you use that promo code. All right, we have Scott Casey on the line. After you hear from Al Snow and Collar and Elbow, we'll be back to talk to Cowboy Scott Casey about his book, One Last Ride. Wrestling. A love and a passion we all share. I've started a wrestling brand. The wrestling brand. A brand founded on the aspects of wrestling. Two entities working together to create a product that connect emotionally for people everywhere. Collar and Elbow is the brand. Passion and love for wrestling is the drive. I am Al Snow, and this is Collar and Elbow. The wrestling brand. And welcome back, Can Crushers listeners. We just heard from Al Snow over at Collar and Elbow. Uh, T-shirts, hats, hoodies, eye patches, you name it, uh, Al Snow makes it. Um, and we're back now with our guest for the week, Cowboy Scott Casey. Mr. Casey, thanks so much for uh, coming on Can Crushers and joining me and Mark. No, it's it's my pleasure. I enjoy doing this, and uh, I get to advertise my book all the way. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's one last ride. And believe me, folks, it is the last ride for me. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be in the ring again, but I've got a lot of memories of being in the ring. And uh, it's it, it it's amazing. A friend of mine down in St. Pete, used to tell me, he said, time is a diminishing asset. Think about that. It really is, you know. And, you know, you, you, you one minute you're laying on the bench doing 500 pounds, and then the next you're laying on the bench and trying to do 25 pounds. You know, it's just, it's life is that way. And, and it's, it, it seems like it was just like supersonic speed going through that 20 years. But it, it, it was just amazing. And all the people I met, and all the friends I made, and, and all the stories that they told, and I told, and, and I've reiterated into my book what I did, and I don't know. I, I, it, it, so far, it's been pretty good. I've got a lot of good response. I've got a lot of good sales off the book, and uh, looking to do more. My my partner, Nick Massey, that's M-A-S-C-I, he lives in Bristol, Connecticut. I call him that damn Yankee like you guys are, but you know, <laughs> Southern accent, you know, but uh, what a great guy. And if it hadn't been for him, I would never have done it. You know, I mean, he's uh, 36 years old, quick as a whip, and he's got another baby on the way. I told him, I said, you know, Nick. You, you just because you poke poke a little fun at her doesn't mean she had to take you serious. But it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, that's me. I talk that way. And uh, if anybody, it's like I said in the book. If you don't like a few uh, X-rated scenes or a few things that are not quite up to snuff with people's religion and stuff, then don't buy it. It's real simple. You know, it's what I felt. You know, I'm in my twenties and thirties and up to my 40s, and raising hell, going all over the world. I went around the world nine times. Wow. Nine times, fellas. And it, it, it is still round. <laughs> and it, it, there's still 
no place like home. I don't care where you go, who you meet. You know, it's just, you know, you, you just have to feel that way. I do, anyway. <clears throat> I'll shut up and let you guys say No, no, that, that, <laughs> no. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit, but, but, you know, obviously we know about your work in the WWF and, and throughout some parts of Texas, but around the world nine times. What, what are some countries uh, you visited and, and wrestled okay. in? Okay. Well, let's see. I wrestled in Europe, England, Spain, France, Germany, Italy, uh, and then I went over to Saudi Arabia. I went to Egypt. Uh, went where the pyramids were. Uh, God, I'm trying to remember. Uh, coming back around, went, uh, wrestled in Fiji, wrestled Hawaii. Uh, uh, there's so many of them. I can, I can hardly remember all of them, but it was, it just seemed like it was a whirlwind, really. I mean, after it was over with, while it was going on, and sometimes it was a bad stall. You know, because like in Kuwait, you can't, they don't have bars there. They have private clubs. And, uh, you know, all of us were notoriously drinkers, you know, after the matches. And you just had to bear with it and become a, I don't know, Alcoholics Anonymous, I guess. <laughs> but uh, it was, it was, you know, it's so funny. I mean, the people's customs are so different. Uh, when I was there in Saudi Arabia, uh, in Kuwait, uh, Tiger Conway Jr. and I were invited to these two guys' houses. And, you know, yeah, I could, immediately I could tell they were wealthy. They had white cloud convertible Rolls Royces. And, uh, you can't get those at Walmart. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was just, they said, would you like to come to our house? We'd like to have you for supper. I looked at Tiger. He said, sure, why not? So we get out in front of this mansion. I can't tell you how many. It looked like a business building. It was so big. And we walked in, and there were servants there. There was a 24 place, uh, 24 on each side table. The plates, the cups, the goblets, the knives, the forks were 20 to 24 carat gold i mean they were so soft you could have bent them with your finger but yeah i mean these guys had more money than uh carter's got liver pills and and when they took us a a tour of the city and they they must have been 30 different buildings that they owned and i thought so this is how the other half lives you know i mean it's just unreal and uh they even had booze there and i was happy Grateful for that because I was, I was getting thirsty after a while there. But, uh, we had fun. You know, I mean, it's just, like I said, there's no place like home, even if it's a, a mansion like these guys had, you know. And, uh, then I came back. It was so funny. All of us got on the plane and we were coming back from Kuwait. We had to go through, uh, England coming back. And Luthez, who was a seven times world champion at one time. Yep. Was, we were, we were knocking the drinks down and all of a sudden he said, I can't see. I can't see. I said, Lou, he said, what? I said, your glasses are on your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we all just pounded them coming back. And, uh, just fun things like that. And then we had one guy, his name was Juan Reynosa. And he went as Taurus Bulba or something like that. 
and he got drunk and we left him. <laughs> of course, we were in no condition to count heads at the moment, and uh, he got he got back on the next plane the next day. I mean, he had to stay over, but uh, it was just crazy, you know. It's just if you fly from England, I guess it's south of hell. I don't know. I was up in the air. It's just miles and miles and miles of sand, you know. I mean, it's it's just incredible. And uh, I went with uh, Tiger, and we were, went looking around at the shops that they had there. And it, guys, I'm telling you, they had gold shops. They look at my gold, and I had some nice jewelry, but it was like 14 karat. They said, we throw that away and scrap. Well, hell, I like it. Went over the table and beat the shit out of it because, you know, 14 karat with diamonds and stuff in it. Right. That's big money. I paid money. money for that. But they, 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 yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even accept that as, as a trade-in. I thought, okay. But that's the way it is. You know, different part of the world, they do different things. Wow. That, that, John, uh, right off the bat, that's an amazing story. That is a great story. Uh, it's you know. It, go ahead. No, I I was just going to say. Okay, uh, we just want to know how did you get into the wrestling business? Then is that, I mean we don't want to cover your whole book. We want to you know a couple oddball stories that aren't in the book or anything. But what was your deciding factor to get into the business? Uh, the Funks, Terry Dory, Dory Funk Senior, Bobby Duncan, Dick Murdoch, and you know I. I was Terry and I were pretty close in age, and, and we both went to West Texas State. And uh, he said, "You want to stay here?" I said, "Well, not really, you know, because like a guy once said, Amarillo, Texas, is flatter than piss on a platter." And he's right; <laughs> and it's so flat. You can you can go and stand out in the middle of a field and do 360 degree turns, never see a tree, never see a bush. It's kind of depressing, but I mean, especially after all the places I went. But it, you just—it's unreal, you know. And uh, Terry said, "Well, maybe I can get the guys to teach you how to wrestle." So I got out there, and you know, I kind of had an inkling of what was going on. But I'm not going to tell you these guys what I thought. And they literally beat the shit out of me for about three weeks. And I guess finally they got together and said, well, hell, he won't quit. We might as well teach him how to wrestle. And so they did, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're looking, here I was like not quite six foot tall, and everybody else was six three, six four, and uh they were pounding me, bouncing me off the ropes, body slamming me, uh giving me elbows. And, uh, it, it, it just incredible. I, I, a quick story. Dory Funk Sr., God rest his soul, and I'm sure you guys never heard of, or saw him, or you probably heard of him, <clears throat> but, uh, he tells Murdoch in the back, he said, this was my very first match. Let me put it to you this way. I'm wrestling Dick. Great guy. He, and, uh, Sr. tells him, I want you to hard wing. If you don't know what a hard way is, if you stand there and I knock the living shit out of you, that's a hard way. You know, and it, it, normally in the business, if somebody hits you like that, it comes in pairs because I'm going to get mine on you if you got one on me. You know, it's just the way wrestling was. I don't know how they do it now, but anyway, so we, we uh, 
we get in the ring. And he said, okay, here it goes. And wham, I mean, he knocked the crap out of me. Nothing. My eye didn't blossom up, didn't bruise, nothing. You know, and it, I'm, two or three more times, I said, I, I think that's enough. Why don't we just finish this? So we did. We go back to the dressing room. And Funk Sr., it was his idea. He says, Murdoch, you son of a bitch. I thought you'd fucking hard way. Well, I tried. And when he said tried, Sr., He's standing there, uh, look at it, look at the, uh, seniors here, and then Murdoch, Terry, and, who else was with it? Murdoch, Terry, and, so much fun being old, it's the shit, you can't remember anything. <laughs> anyway, they, he hit me so hard, and busted my eyebrow off, and I didn't know it until years later when I went to New York, Lord Al Hayes was standing there. He said, goodness gracious. You know, he was from England. He said, you won't believe what that just happened. I said, what? I'm going back 20 years. I said, what are you talking about? He said, when Senior hit you, he caromed off of you, hit Murdoch, and then hit Terry. And they said, what would you do that for? He said, because you were laughing at me. I mean, you, <laughs> he didn't mess with the old man. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, that's just the way it was. You know, he just... You either do it, it, it was your his way or the highway. And, you know, and I wanted to be in it so bad, I was like a fool, I stood there and let him hit me. And uh, when I, you know, when Al Hayes told me what happened, he said, I laughed my ass off. He said, and I was running because Senior was going to hit me. <laughs> you know, he just, oh, he, he a great man. He really was. But uh, things like that happen all the time. I've, uh, I've, I've instant Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to say when I, I I got in the I lived in Amarillo, and I remember it was a guy by the name of Moose Morowski. Moose was like six four and about three twenty, and hard as a rock, and he was always jibber jabbering going on. And uh, he said, "You know, Scott, now that you're here, you're going to make twenty five hundred a week." I said, really? He said, yeah, Miles. <laughs> I'm telling you, boys. Yeah. Uh, picture this. If you're looking at the map of the United States, you start in Amarillo, then you drive up to Colorado Springs, and then from there you go over to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Then you drop down to El Paso. Then you go to San Angelo, and you're looking at about 2,500. You could literally change the oil in your car Every week, if you wanted to, oh my it was God. that. It was brutal, brutal, brutal. And you know, and sometimes we get. Are you ready for this? Twenty, twenty-five dollar payoffs. <laughs> sometimes fifteen, depends on how bad the house was. So we were always working our ass off to get the people to come back to see the matches. You know, I mean, and uh, the way we wrestled, you you started out and you told a story. It had a couple of climaxes in it, and then it had an ending. And believe me, you either learned to do it that way or you weren't going to be there. Another thing, a uh, valuable lesson that I heard from from Wahoo McDaniels. I loved him, and God, I wish he was still here with us. He, he used to say, you can look good, you can wrestle good, you can do everything in the world, but if you cannot get on the stick, the microphone, and do your promos, and make 
yourself believable to the people. Forget it. You're, you'll die in the water right there. You'll be dead in the water. You'll never make it in the business. And I remember one time I was I having a problem with a, <laughs> a promo with uh, Ray Stevens and Wahoo Stanton. He and he goes, I hope folks don't mind me cussing because this is the way it, they were. He says, motherfucker. If you don't get this right, I'm going to come over there and break your nose and break both your arms. But I think I learned that promo real quick after that. I mean, you, you, Wahoo was a man's man. And he played football for the Dallas Texans before they were the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. He played for the New York Jets. And he was the only wrestler at that, or only football player at that time that had his nickname, Wahoo, on his shirt. Who are you going to call? Wahoo, wahoo. And, uh, he used to, he said, I couldn't stand that. Uh, he was there when, um, God, the quarterback that made all the money, uh, um, his name. I can see his face. No, 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 no. A New York Jets, the oh. one that guaranteed the Joe Namath, the, the yeah, win. Yeah. yeah, Joe, Na- Joe Willie. Yeah. He used to make Joe Willie stand out of the showers and, uh, Hold his towel while he was taking a shower. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Oh, you know, I mean, Wahoo didn't get, take shit from anybody, but he loved a good rib. And he didn't mind giving them and, and taking them, things like that. Of course, I wasn't going to take one for give him a, a rib because, shit, I was still in the same area code as him. I got killed. But <laughs> he was just, he was, he was incredible. Uh, let me tell you a really, really fun story. All right. Wahoo's theory in life, if a little bit's good, then a whole bunch is great. Now think about that for a minute. So one day we had TV at Tuesday on in San Antonio, and after the matches, I mean, sometimes we've been there 12, 13 hours doing promos so they could ship the tapes out so people would know what was going to happen. And, you know, it paid off in the long run, but, God, it was, it was brutal on us. But anyway... After the matches, we go to a place called Diamond Gems. They had like this eight or nine foot tall white polar stuffed polar bear. And he would go in a circle and the drunker Wahoo did. He said, I'm going to scalp him. I said, please don't do that. So anyway, we're standing there. We're pounding the drinks. And uh, all of a sudden, no Wahoo. And I thought, what the hell? And so I... I, I <laughs> I got to tell this story. The the gal saying no, and I'm saying yes. I'm going to tell it anyway. So we get a couple of the fans to give us a ride back to the condominium, and I get there. We get there, and one who had a black Cadillac. The door of his Cadillac was open. The lights were on, uh, and it was running. And I thought, oh shit! So something's wrong. We go in the house and I, whoa, there's three big pounds of foam. And I looked at, I had Mascaris and Tom Jones with me, Mill Mascaris. Anyway, so <laughs> I looked at, and the look, the further I looked at this foam, the more I realized that he had had a bowel movement oh. in three different places. <laughs> yeah. So here, and he phone, he pushed the foam on there to keep it. Oh my God! You know, cover it up. Yeah, yeah, it's in the book. Believe me. Anyway, so uh, 
we I go to the bathroom and it had one of those showers that had the glass door on it and it was shut and the water was going and his pants were down uh, his boots were down and it must have been three or four hundred dollars floating in the water but there's no wahoo so i hear oh you know so we go in the bedroom and here's a 280 pound man and he is almost under the bed and he's he just his hands are in a fist yeah he's doubled up like a oh and i said what the hell and he never called me Scott Casey or Scott or Casey. It was always motherfucker. And I don't know why. I, he loved me. But anyway, he said, motherfucker, call Sandy. This was his girlfriend at the time. And I said, what? I, I'm, I'm cramping. I'm cramping. So she comes over and she had just so happened to be a nurse. And I said, what the hell? He said, oh, he said, I'm trying to lose some of this fat. He said, I'm too goddamn fat and I want to lose some weight. So... Sandy gets in. She says, what did you take, you idiot? He said, I took six phenomen, and then I took three LASIK pill shots. So phenomen makes you have a bowel movement. The LASIK makes you urinate. And I'm telling you what, it like to killed him. She shot him up with something anyway, and he, he made it out of it. But, I mean, he was... It was, he was excruciating. It was so bad. But like I said, or like he said, if a little bit's good, then a whole bunch is great. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> but that's the way it went. You know, I mean, it was never a dull moment. Never a dull moment with that man. You know. Uh, I, I don't know where we can. This was all my timing. Come off with that story. I'm sorry. What? I don't know how yeah. you can follow up anything on that story. That's a, we're laughing on this end. I'm sorry. This is amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and like I said, folks, if you're listening, I apologize for my vulgarity, but that's the way we were. We were young and dumb and of it, you know, and, and chasing the women and rays and hell and staying up all hours of the night and then sleeping a few and get up, take a buffet, and then go to wrestle somewhere else. It was a crazy life. It really was, and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> Put I mean, it you, to you that you way. Change your but uh, we had more fun. Uh, yeah. You remember you remember when the streaking was the big thing back? Well, you guys probably aren't even old enough for that. But anyway, the guys would streak, try to take their clothes off, and run down to a group of people and all that stuff. Yeah, I saw sure, it on yeah. baseball a few times, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, anyway, Dusty Rhodes and I decided that we were about half drunk. We were going to streak the Houston airport, the small part of it, not the big one. All right. So, let's that a couple of guys said, okay, we took our clothes off. We had our cowboy boots on and our hats, and they were supposed to meet us at point B. We raced from A, point A to B. Guess what? No, no less. No, and I still got him pissed. I'm still pissed at him for that. But we're standing there, buck ass naked, with a cowboy hat in front of us. And I said, "Nobody's ever going to believe this." He said, "I don't care. I just want to get my pants back on." And anyway, they took off, but they came back later. You know, but, but yeah, they took off with our clothes. You know, we didn't <laughs> just had nothing but a smile on, really. So that's the way it was. We were always doing silly stuff like that. It didn't matter, you know, I mean, because if you stop, think about it. Here you are. I mean, sometimes I went three years without a day off, without a day off, 
you know, and you, 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 you get bored, you get tired, you, you're chasing the gals, you're having a good time, you're drinking and all that, and but you're young and you can do it, and that's the way it was, you know. But uh, that was in San Antonio. That was the greatest place I ever had to wrestle. And today is Cinco de Mayo, so all you Hispanics out there, Hola, you know. <laughs> it's cerveza time, yeah. for sure, yeah. But I love thinking of my, yeah, but raised a lot of hell doing that. And yeah. uh, if you want to go to a different area, I can tell you about going up to New York. Sure. You know, we well, went, uh, sure. Okay. Uh, I, Pat Patterson, God rest his gay soul, uh, I knew him. I met him and Louie at the matches in Amarillo. He was wrestling there. So uh, Louie and I got to talking and became friends, you know, and they didn't hit on me or anything like that. They've been together more years than most marriages. Anyway, they, uh, Pat, when I finally got into the wrestling, he, I, and I left Dallas at the moment. I left the Von Erichs, and uh, he said, I want you to come up to New York. I thought, great, I'm going to make some big money. I get up there. I, my first match is against Dino Bravo, and bam, I got to put over, which means I am not going to be one of the featured guys in, the, in this company. But, you know, just to go to New York and just to wrestle with, it was the WWF then, is quite an honor, you know, and I, and I, I loved it, you know, I, and I was disappointed because if I backtrack up to San Antonio, Eddie Mansfield and I set records that are still not broke down there. I mean, we we had 10,000 people outside in one match, and the, the, the arena was full. It was a hemisphere arena. And uh, it just, it, you know, your ego kind of says, ah, hell, this is what's going to happen. But uh, on the other side of that coin, you're saying, hey, we did something nobody else ever did. And I was proud of that, you know. And it's, there's a lot of ups and downs in a business, and uh, it, you just have to either go with it or get out of it, you know. And I, I went with it for over 20 years and uh, loved every bit of it. I, and I got the, you know, I mean, people say, well, you never get hurt or anything like that. Horse shit. You do too. I've got a clavicle or collarbone is disconnected because I went out of the ring with uh, the bushwhacker Luke and we landed on my shoulder and between the two of us were about 500 pounds and my collarbone, I turned my head and I hit my chin on my collarbone. He said, mate, mate. You know, he's from Australia. He said, mate, mate, your collarbone, your collarbone. I said, screw that. I said, let's finish the match. So we did. I go back to the dressing room, the, uh, uh, one of the EMTs yeah. uh, techni- techs came in there and said okay here's what I want to do is I want to wrap it over your shoulder and under your elbow and keep your arm in I said you're going to eat shit and bark at the moon That's not, uh, what I want you to do is what's going to happen <laughs> and I told him how to wrap it next day I put wear a t-shirt I wrestled next day I, same thing you know because an old-timer by the name of Wahoo McDaniel told me when I tore my finger up, boy, they don't pay to see sick wrestlers. And he was right. I mean, it was it was tough sometimes. You know, I mean, you had to, 
take the good with the bad and you know it's just uh but uh i i had I, I, i'm gonna go through some of the injuries i got a cut on the back of my head that's about two inches wide i don't know how i got there uh i had the collar phone bone tore up i had you know how what the tricep looks like it's a horseshoe type thing well anyway the inner tricep on both my arms were torn within a week of each other and uh after that i went to japan i can't remember how many times over there but anyway uh one of the japs landed on my side and he broke popped my uh, sternum <laughs> and i get up and i thought you son of a bitch and I take a chair like a beat him to death, and he oh, he's talking Japanese, you know. So Giant Baba said, what happened? I told him. He said he deserved it. So, and Baba and I got along real well. Anyway, uh, going on down, I wrestled Nick Bockwinkle, Colorado Springs, for the world belt, and we're supposed to go through an hour. We're at the 58-minute mark, and I, I shoot him in, and I call it a European backbreaker. You bend over, you hook your right arm around the waist, grab the left leg, bring him up in the air, and drop him down across your knee. And uh, it, for some reason, my leg gave out, and I tore my groin. Oh. And it was black and blue. And I remember, well, I two stories in one here. Wahoo saying to me, you can find sympathy. Alphabetically in the dictionary, between shit and syphilis. Look it up. In other words, he was a tough, mean son of a bitch, and he didn't care, you know. And uh, I just kept on, kept on, keeping on. Anyway, uh, going down, I tore up my right knee, broke bones in both my feet, and uh, I always remember what Wahoo said, you know. I mean, I when I tore up my if you could picture this, you're you're holding your hand straight out, and your little finger is kind of dangling. And uh. because I wrestled Dory Funk Jr. for the world belt, and he locked up, and his his forearm caught my little finger. It's called a collar and elbow lockup. Okay. Yep. But when we locked up, oh God, and we were doing what they call a two out of three fall match. And I went back after the first fall, and I'm mfing and screaming and hollering, and carrying on. Well, who said, "Boy," or he called me motherfucker. Anyway, he said, <laughs> "He said you can find sympathy in the dictionary." And I, you know, I, that was 40 years ago, guys, and I never ever forgot it. I turned that whining and crying off like somebody turning a water tap off, because you know, if I didn't, I, I'd have been humiliated forever. But anyway. Those are just stories about injuries, you know. You got, I had ribs broken and uh, got teeth broken from it. And there again, while Hussein about sympathy comes into play, you know, it's not a, it's not a sport for the fate of art. Because stop and think about it. Everybody you know in the business was trained by somebody different, and they, you, you learn different ways to do things. And sometimes you got hurt, sometimes you didn't. It's just like I trained Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray and tried to tra train uh, the Ultimate Warrior. That's another story. But anyway, <laughs> I, I trained these two guys, and uh, 
they'll tell you in their book, and I think there's a series coming on. They should mention me training them, but uh, they were. I I wrestled. I, I completed my wrestling in for uh, WWF and went back to Texas. And what, uh, Ivan Pusky calls me up and says, Scott, I need some help. I said, okay, I'll come down and help you. So uh, we went down there, and I trained them, and I said, look. And I told these two guys. I mean, these guys are unbelievable, Bill, you know. And uh, I said, look. And I looked at them straight down, and I said this. One six three was about six five. I said, People are going to call you the N-word. They're going to call you everything. I said, simply because of the way you look. You have the ability. And, you you know, and they learn caught things right off the bat. That took me for a while to, to learn. But uh, I, I just, you know, I told them, I, uh, and I, I didn't back down. I said, this is the way it's going to be. I said, and the old saying, it's not what you make, it's what you save. If you think about that. I think it's a good thing to learn and, and a lesson to try to do. And uh, that was that, you know. I mean, I, I could talk for the next three or four hours on different things, but I won't. I, I don't know if we're ahead of time, behind the time. Or we're what. good. We're, but, we're uh, good. We're, we're on your schedule, Mr. Casey. We're on your schedule, sir. More? I'm your boy. I'm here for you. All right. Um, so you mentioned a couple injuries, uh, you know, a cracked rib or – uh, bones breaking in your feet. How much later, after something like that happens, are you right back in the ring? Are you in the ring the next night? Yep. Wow. Tape it up, wrap it up. I mean, a lot of times when I break ribs, I tape myself up and wear a T-shirt in the ring. You know, because like Wahoo said, boy, they don't pay to see sick wrestlers. And they don't. Nowadays, I, I it's so funny, before God rest his soul, Nick Bockwinkle, passed away he and i were in vegas and we went to the matches there and they had a couple of doctors a masseuse a chiropractor and i thought hell i'd have been doing this till i was 95 if i'd have had that but uh <laughs> they just you know things change people change the way they do things change you know i i watch the matches nowadays and this is my own interpretation of it they start at 100 miles an hour and end up at 500 miles an hour. They do these flip, twist, dados and things. That, you know, I mean, I did some things off the top rope and I went out of the ring, but not like these kids are doing now, you know. And it's just, think, but they're making more money than we ever made, you know. So, you, you, you I don't, I guess it all adds up and figures out, but I, I'm just amazed that any of them can walk after having some of these matches that they have because it's they do stuff off the top rope into the audience and all, I mean on the, around the ring. It's just you just to me it just amazed me. But like I said, we we started out wrestle wrestle, then start beating on each other and stuff like that. Maybe have one high spot. Or two in the match, and uh, you just—it's uh, different. I'll give you a prime example. I'm supposed to wrestle Leo Burke from Canada, and uh, he—I'm talking to Dory Folk Jr. and he—I said, Dory, you know, you and uh, 
Jack Briscoe wrestled many hour matches. I said, how do you do it? It's real simple. You, you divide uh, an hour is 60 minutes. You take and make 10, six 10 minute matches out of an hour. And that's how you do it. And I would never in my life have under, wow, that's even a- thought about doing something like that, but he was right. And, uh, after that, I wrestled quite a few hour matches. You don't see that very often anymore, but uh, we always did it just to just try to get those people to come back and pay that good hard money. And uh, we worked our butt off. To, and sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. You never know. You know, just and Scott, did the best we could do with the ability that we had. You mentioned that you watch, you know, wrestling today, and we we agree that you know. Looking at the scar on my knee where I had my right knee completely uh, replaced, and then it, if you if I take my shirt off and you were standing here, you'd see where I had a quadruple bypass. Oh, jeez! Now, you know, being the idiot that I am at times, I never got thought anything. Oh, in there, you're going to give me a couple of aspirins and whatever. And I came out of that. I've got pictures I could <laughs> show you. I looked like I was in a knife fight and didn't have a knife. And uh, it was just incredible. I mean, I, get, I was told that in Vietnam or maybe even further back, I don't know, that uh, the open heart surgery became the norm thing, you know, and they. They had to, like I have a scar on my from my left hand all the way up to the elbow, but the, but the inner part of it, they take the vein out and they replace the parts in your heart that are bad or whatever, and uh, it was just crazy, you know. I, mean, it, I had an excellent doctor in St. Petersburg, Florida, that did the, my operation and. Uh, he said, you came through fine. He said, you've taken a few few beatings, haven't you? I said, yeah, I guess I have. But, and uh, he said, well, you're doing fine. But it just, I mean, you know, you see on TV somebody, they're having a heart attack and they grab their arm and all this other crap. That ain't happening. It didn't happen with me. I came in from work one night and I felt like somebody was taking their three fingers and tapping them lightly on my left shoulder. Uh, and all of a sudden, I felt like somebody was pulling my teeth out. I mean, it was excruciating. And then I started spitting uncontrollably. So I thought to myself, in my all my infinite wisdom, something's not right. So I hop in my car. <laughs> I'm still having this, these little twinges. And I go down to St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, Saint, uh, to St. Anthony's, I'm sorry. To St. Anthony's Hospital in in St. Pete, and uh, I walk in, and there's these three doctors. Uh, excuse me, uh, these three doctors were talking, and since I'm two days older than dirt, and and I said I walked up to them, and I said, "Boys, I think I got a problem," and they said, "What?" And I explained it to them, and they said, "Lay down." That was the last time I was on my feet for five days. They operated on me the next day, and then blah, blah, blah. And, and so the story goes, I made it out of it. And uh, that's 
my life and story, and I'm sticking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's. We were gonna get to that about um, your your surgeries and everything. Let's let's pause there for a second um, and rewind because there's one that we always we're Cornette fans, and uh, we know that you had the time to work with the Midnight Express at that time. We were huge fans of that, as well as our listeners are. Can you give us a little bit of a story about working with the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette and those guys? Well, was it Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson? The Rock and Roll right? Express. The Midnight yeah. Express. Oh, no, that was... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Midnights were, uh, at that time would have been what, Dennis Condry and, and Randy Rose, maybe? Yes. Uh, yeah. My only problem, I, I had, a, we had an excellent match, but those boys talk so slow, they're from the South, and I, I'm beginning to talk that way myself, but I mean, it was just, the, their timing was impeccable. They could do anything in the ring, and they could shoot a promo out that would, curl the, your hair if they wanted to and uh their uh manager um god i can't you just said his name Cor- I can't jim cornett right now oh jim yeah cornett. Mm-hmm. yeah he what a great guy he is he uh i don't want to do this i did a promo with him and i was raising my quarter horses and he was talking about me being a nanny goat rider and all this other stuff. And I took, got his green coat off of him and did the promo. And I, my horse was standing there by me and I was, had my left hand up on his rump and I took the right hand and wiped my horse's ass with it. And, uh, I thought that was the only thing I could do to kind of get back at him. It got over bigger than you wouldn't believe. People were nuts. You know, and Cornette, you know, Mr. Kent, I mean, he does promos like crazy. I mean, you give him a subject and he'll expound on it for the next 30 minutes. But he was great. He really was. And they laughed their ass off. And we made a few dollars with it. So I was happy with that. And uh, way it went. (laughs) I want to ask you about the great Kabuki, please, Scott. Was he... Was he as mysterious off camera? Was he dark and mysterious off camera too, or did he have some kind of personality, or a sense of humor, or anything? The great Kabuki, or is what we saw on TV kind of what he was? Kabuki could speak English better than you or me. I mean, wow. a very intelligent man, quiet, unassuming, uh, and uh, we got along good. And people were asking me, "What was that stuff he spit out?" It was food coloring like a green or a red or whatever and uh the timing was excellent and uh he knew he knew when to make the people pop and and when to settle them down and he, he great guy and he could throw a chop that would blister your chest like crazy and uh i had a lot of fun with him really did uh, Can't Crush Your Nation, we're here with Cowboy Scott Casey, and we're helping promote his book, which is One Last Ride, The Tales of Cowboy Scott Casey, and in the book, I did find an excerpt, I didn't get mine yet, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, I can't wait to get this after talking to you, but there, there's a little bit of an excerpt, uh, excerpt about you when you left the 
WWF. And it, it kind of touches on how Vince didn't give you a chance to talk because everybody, you, you even mentioned it here on the podcast that you went around the world nine times. Um, Vince didn't give you a chance to well, actually talk. Well, the, the, <laughs> I was there for almost three years. And uh, even uh, on my own behalf, I'd have guys that would I would put over and they'd say, I'm sorry, I had to beat you tonight, brother. And which made it made me feel good. But uh, as far as Vince went, in 1990, I walked. I knew that a bunch of us were getting our walking papers, and I I walked in this dressing room. He's sitting there behind the desk, and I'm about 245 pounds of just pure solid muscle and steroided up to the gill. And I said, Vince. In 1990, do I have a job with you or not? He said, no. And I said, well, why? He said, well, we never did know that much about you or what you could do. And it took everything I could <laughs> muster up in me to not jump over that table and beat the shit out of it. But I thought, you know, someday I may have to cross this path again. So I, I didn't do it, you know I mean? And I, I told him, I said, Vince... I can accept failure when given a chance to fail, but you never gave me a chance. I set all kinds of records in Texas and stuff. Evidently, that that door was shut whenever we were up here. And uh, he said, well, we never really knew what you could do or anything like that. And I, and I just bit my tongue. I said, all right, sir. And he said, why don't you go down to Atlanta for a year and come back, and we'll uh, do something with you. And I said, Okay, and I walked out of the dressing room, and that's when I went back to Texas and went down to Houston and helped uh, Ivan Pusky with his school. You know, it's just, it, it's a brutal business, guys. It's, it really is, and they have no sympathy for anybody. You know where sympathy lies from what Wahoo said, and they don't, they don't care, you know. They, they have, they have a whole, pattern figured out as to who they want to use, how they want to use them, when they want to use them, and when they want to beat them. They don't care. That's just, it's business. And I understood that, you know, and, and I'm glad I didn't make a fool out of myself in front of Vince, you know what I mean? He's a nice guy. He just, that's just what he wanted, you know, and he, I, he has a collection of, uh, I don't know, guys that help him. Just uh, make it happen. And uh, he's a billionaire. That's with a B, folks, uh, a few times over. And uh, he's made these other guys a lot of money. And uh, I can't I can't begrudge him that, you know. I mean, I'm going to be a gentleman and just say that's the way it was. Uh, we, we won't keep you too, too much longer, Mr. Casey. A couple other questions that's about okay. – a couple other questions about Dallas. Were you there when uh, when David passed away in Japan? Were you working in Dallas at that time? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, I, they were an entity in of themselves. I mean, they they had the whole state of Texas and most of the United States enamored with them. They were just 
unbelievable. And uh, I knew when I went in there that I was not going to be figured in. I was going to be one of the girls in the show, as, as I always like to put it. And uh, the brothers, they did their thing. And, and I, I just, the way that their life turned out or what happened still just floors me that they could possibly do that. You know, there's an old saying that God won't forgive you for suicide. And uh, they did it. You can't deny it. It's in the books. It's written. And it's it's there. You know, you just, you go, wow. You know, I mean, and it's like, to me, monkey see, monkey do. Oh, he killed himself. I can do that, too. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I am, God, I'm sorry. You know, but uh, they just, it's just a crazy, crazy life. And it was fun. We drew a lot of money. Uh, I'll never forget. I was on the show in the Cotton Bowl. I think that's where the Cowboys played before they, or wherever that was, where they played before the big AT&T stadium they're at now. And I'm out there, and I'm, I'm wrestling Lynn Denton. He was the, the grappler. He wore a mask. Yep. We lock up, and it starts raining. I said, flying mare meat. We flared Mayor Bean. He's standing behind me with a uh, with a chin lock on me, and I'm just sitting there. He said, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> I said, "It's raining, Lenny. I don't want to get wet. I thought he was going to beat me to death. <laughs> get up off the floor. You know, when you've been in the business as long as I was, you could talk to people and have fun and still just. I gave you a prime example. Past that, there was a guy by the name of Tank Patton." And he was a monster, 6'4", 340, and he talked just like this. And we used to love to play jokes and and tell jokes on each other. It didn't matter what part of the world I was in. He'd find me and tell me, you got to hear this joke. You're not going to believe it. So one day we're down in Landry, Texas, right down on the border. And it had rained, and I was in the main event with the, with Tank. His real name was Doug McMicken. But in the, uh, in the dressing room, I took a piece of tape and I wrote, fuck you on it on, and stuck it on my tongue. And we get out there to get the instructions and I looked at Doug and I said, hey, he said, what? And I stuck my tongue out. I, he, you know, never ever cracked up, never laughed nothing. I thought he was going to keel over. He was laughing so fucking hard. And I just, I got you. Well, he liked to beat me to death before I could get away from it, but it was fun, you know. I mean, back then, you know, you you wrote and told stories on each other and, and raised hell and had a good time, and that's the way it was. I don't know. Now they're on Lear jets and planes, and I don't know if they talk to each other or not any, anymore. <clears throat> and that's my story. Were, were they uh, were they fair to you in Dallas? You, you hear some things about Fritz. He was a little rough around the edges. Um, smoking yeah, a lot of cigarettes. I, you know, it's funny. I, 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 a, a story about that. I'm wrestling a guy by the name of Jack Victory, and he lives in Florida. I can't think of his real name now, but he went as Jack Victory. So uh, Fritz goes, all right, I want you guys to get out there liven these people up. That's the way he talked with the gruff. I said, okay. So I looked at Jack, I said, let's bing, bang, boom. 
tickle, tackle, and drop kick. We got out there, and I mean, for 15 minutes, we did not stop. We just continued. We get out of the ring, walk, you know, back there to the pay, dressing room, and they were doing payoffs. And Fritz goes, give these boys extra hundred dollars each. And I, and that was the only time I ever saw him do something like that. But he was, he was proud of what we did and we livened the people up and he could be fair and he could be brutal, just like any promoter. And that was it. That was that. All right, Scott. Uh, it, it's been great having you on Can't Crushers podcast. Uh, we loved it. We want to give you a chance to tell more people. I mean, you gave us great stories tonight, but what else can we find in the book? Uh, you know, quickly, so you sell a book, and where can we find it? Okay, you can. If you can go online, or you can. Call me at my, uh, God, I'm getting a brain fart here. Anyway, you can call, uh, you can go online and it's, it, it's one last ride. And if people want it, they can call me and, uh, we can do the, uh, the old PayPal thing or Zelle or whatever. And, uh, it's, you know, without Nick Massey helping me, I, it never would have happened. Never, never, ever. And I, you know, I just thank the world of him. We're really good friends. And, uh, it's, it, it, the, the front of the book is like a collage of different pictures of different people, me. And, uh, it's just, I'm so proud of it. You know, I mean, it's just like, I figure, you know, one of these days I'll be gone, but that'll live on. And I hope it does. And I hope it, like Willie Nelson said, remember me when the lights are shining dimly. Remember me. <laughs> I was laughing anyway. But uh, that's what I want. I just want people to remember me and hope that, that I've gotten a lot of people saying that how much they were proud of the book and, and thankful that I wrote it. And it made me feel good. Well, we definitely. And I hope I get back with you sometime. If you ever, if you ever need another old bird on there again, let me know. I'll be glad to help you. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I wanted to say we definitely remember you for sure, and we're definitely grateful that you joined us. And I think Mark, you would agree. We we yeah. barely touched the tip of the iceberg here. We could have Scott Casey on here uh, at least one more time. I think a minimum of one more time, right, Scott? You're going to come back and tell us more stories. Absolutely. Just give me a holler and I will do it. You know, I mean, and I'll try to keep them as clean as I can. Oh, no. That no, won't be very please, clean. But anyway, no, do try. not keep them clean. That's our era. We love that. Yeah. Th okay. You were very gracious with your time, really. Thank you so, so much for uh, for being with the Can Crushers and uh, for sharing some really fun stories with us. All right. You're more than welcome. And uh, thanks for having me. Wow, that was uh, that was candid, Mark. Very raw, as they say in yeah. the business. Something you know what? Though this was this was the easiest one we've ever done. Just literally sit back, sip a beer, and listen to Scott Casey tell some of the greatest stories we've ever heard. I went through a six pack, John, a six pack while we were listening to this. It was yeah. amazing. Hey. um... Amarillo, Texas is flatter than piss on a platter. Did you know that? <laughs> I have never cracked up so much while while talking to a wrestler. Um, 
What a fun, what a fun person. Uh, great guy to talk to. This was a blast. Yeah, after we recorded this, guys, I'm going to pull down the fourth wall. Uh, Scott Casey's going to be back on the show. He is. Um, I want to go and have some beers with him. How about yeah. that? Let's let's go tomorrow. Yeah, uh, road trip. You're all in? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can go to Diamond Gyms with him in Wahoo, huh? Got it. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, that would have been incredible. Well, your real thoughts, because we're uh, we're really just starstruck. Uh, I, I'm I'm a little bummed. The only down part of this whole thing was he didn't remember Joe Namath's name. And I'm a big Jets fan, so really? I can't believe he didn't remember. But that's no, what no. you're going to get from this. No, this was awesome. Um, again, as, as we mentioned to him before we let him go, we barely touched the tip of the iceberg. I wanted to. We both wanted to ask some more stuff about San Antonio, about Dallas, New York. Um, all that sort of stuff. And I, I would love to know more about his travels because what we saw, what we read about in the magazines were that handful of territories that we discussed with him. Um, you know, was it, was it Fritz sending him to all these places or was it the Blanchard sending him all over the world? Who was he working for when he went to all these places? But you can't interrupt a guy like that when he gets rolling. No, you can't. He he mentioned one that I had written down, John, Eddie Mansfield, that he was great friends with them. The wrestling world, um, Eddie Mansfield does not like. So I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit. So that might be one that I keep on the shelf. So when we bring him back after I read the book and you read the book, we say, hey, yep. what's up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, keep your phone ready, Mr. Casey. We will be calling you back. Yeah, amazing interview. I, I loved everything about it. I wish the book would get here tomorrow. I really, this is one of the ones, John, normally we read the book first and then call. Right. We did it backwards, and I think it's going to help us this time. I think so, too. Yeah, um, I think this is going to be a really good read because... You know, Scott Casey obviously wrestled. He was uh, during our, our wheelhouse era, if you will. He was at the 88 Survivor Series. Um, but his heyday was maybe a touch before our time. So I would love to read some more of the stories of, of what was going on in those days. And, uh, you know, what really stood out to me is the working through the injuries. Um, just tape it up and go back out there. And if I... If I got any sense from him and if I understood him, um, he did what he had to do back then. And he says it's different now, but he didn't commit to it being better or worse. It, it almost seems like he's happier for this generation that they get that breather. They get that break. Hey, if you're hurt, go heal up and then come back, you know, as opposed to the cutthroat era he worked in. 2,500 miles a weekend. And... Wow. Essentially, you know, if you work three shows, you might get 60 bucks. That's wow. not covering gas. Even, no. even at whatever it was back then, 99 cents a gallon, 50 cents a gallon, still not covering gas. Well, there was a point there in the late seventies, early eighties where, where I don't know if there's an oil shortage or what the deal was, but gas was about what it is now. So imagine those prices, you know, in the seventies and eighties, those guys. They were losing money. They were essentially working, uh, you know, and, and probably losing money. Yeah. Well, he made reference to that. 
Yeah. Oh, my God. We could end this for an hour long as well, but we have to wrap it up. Uh, just know, Scott Casey Part 2, it's going to be in the hopper real soon. Yeah, it, it has to be. Uh, again, we, we barely scratched the surface here. Um, this was a lot of fun, Mark. It it's escalated to... That's what Six Beers does during a podcast. Escalated to one of the tops here on Can't Crusher podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No disrespect to anybody else. We've got a ton of these interviews that, that you've done especially. This is very near the top of my list. Yeah. So remember, John, just because you're trash... It doesn't mean you can't do great things. It's called a garbage can, not a garbage cannot.